You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Uh, good morning, church. Good morning. I, uh, I uh, receive it. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Jumbo Karibu. Uh, it's good to see uh, everyone here this morning. My name is Matthew Watson, and uh, I am uh, thrilled to be here. Thank you uh, for uh, the invitation. Uh, it's been an honor to be with you over the weekends. Um, I have known uh, Pastor Randy for, uh, for a little over a year now. We were in a cohort together uh, where we explored what it meant to uh, lead churches to minister and to outreach into their neighborhoods and into their context. And so I've heard a great deal about uh, New Hope over the past year, year and a half. And it's great to be in this place and to see your faces. I have prayed for you. My church has prayed for you. I got a text from one of our elders yesterday just uh, during the conference saying, hey, I'm praying for you and praying for New Hope. So I, you know, I know that sometimes you can just kind of be focused on your own work and what you're doing in your own little corner of the world. It can be tough to sort of look up and look beyond the horizon. But New Hope, I want you to know that in the northeast corner of Washington, D.C., that there's a church that's heard about you and that is championing you, that is cheering you on and praying for you, and that you're not alone in it. Uh, it was great to uh, visit with uh, Pastor Jason and with Zach and some of the leaders uh, last night. They took me out for pizza, uh, fed me massive amounts uh, of amazing uh, South Andy pizza, which I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, never going to turn down a slice of pizza. And we had just a great spirited conversation about church and mission and discipleship and the ways the Spirit of God is moving in this community and in this church. And, and, and just, I hope that you, church, you are well led. And I hope that you know that. I hope that you affirm and esteem your leaders and that you pray for them uh, and know that one of God's gifts to you is the gift of the leaders that you have leading new hope. Um, I, as I mentioned, uh, I pastor a church in Washington, D.C. called Christ City Church. We are an eight-year-old church uh, that began just in the living room on uh, Bay Street in northeast D.C., a group of people that were gathering, that, were, uh, that cared deeply for each other, that cared for their neighborhood and their community, that cared for the gospel and wanted to see God's kingdom come in D.C. as it is in heaven. You flash forward and now today we're a young racially diverse congregation whose aim is simply to see the kingdom of God on display in every life and every sphere of life. And so I'll bring you greetings from Christ City, from the staff and elders, uh, and again, just know that they and we are praying for you. I'll also bring greetings from my family. Uh, I'm married to an amazing woman, Lisa Rodriguez Watson. We've been married for 20 years. She's a daughter of Cuban immigrants. She leads a ministry on her own called Missio Alliance, which seeks to equip and shape the theology and practice of the North American church uh, with theological resources. And so you can Google her. She's much more famous than me uh, in her uh, ministry there. We've got three amazing kids, uh, Nathan, who will be 16 next month. As our oldest, Elias, is 13 in eighth grade, uh, and Annalise, our daughter, the princess of the family, she is, she's 10, and, uh, and they uh, want to say, hey, what's up, and greet you, and uh, just let you know that they too are praying for you. Um, for our time this morning, what I want to do is um, I simply want to encourage you, and I want to remind you of a few things given uh, the, the opportunities and the challenges that you as a congregation are facing. 
um, I, I want to uh, point you towards a God who uh, has been journeying with you. I've heard about all of the ministries and all of the work that you are doing, the work of reaching the community, of caring for refugees, the work that you've been doing to encourage families, especially families with special needs children, the work of discipleship and outreach and mission. I've heard about the plans and the visions that you have and the prayers that you're praying for God-honoring ventures that uh, you have in mind that you're asking God for, but that is still on the horizon. And I've heard about the ways that ministry in this season that's upon us in sort of post-pandemic life, how that can be unsettling and disorienting for all of us. And what I want to share this morning and, and in this moment is just simply a word of encouragement to you and a word of reminder that even in the midst of uncertainty, that even in the midst of unease, that God is with us, that Jesus is present, and that the Spirit is leading all of us, including you, New Hope, that God is leading us forward. And so this morning, I want us to look at a couple of passages out of Matthew's Gospel. Two stories wherein Jesus is leading the disciples to a place that is unfamiliar. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 8, and we'll start reading in verse 23. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. It's always good to follow Jesus wherever he's going, just a note. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Jesus took naps. It's okay to take naps. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And the disciples went and woke him up. Some of you that are moms especially, like you're taking a nap, kids come, mom, where's the, like the applesauce? Just thank God Jesus did this with the disciples. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. Uh, we're going to drown. He replied, you little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up. And he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the waves obey him. In this passage, in this scene, Jesus is taking the disciples from one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's taking them to the other side. But, but this is more than just like a boat ride, like, hey, let's get some like, wine and cheese, take a sort of a you know, sunset cruise. It's, it, it's more than just sort of a leisurely uh, you know, ferry ride from one place to another. It was more than just a transportation journey. It was, it was more than just a boat ride. Jesus was taking them from a place that they knew to a place that they didn't. The Sea of Galilee is actually quite a beautiful place. A few years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to the Holy Land, and of all of the places that I visited, the Sea of Galilee is far and away my favorite. Uh, and it's, it's gorgeous, it's, it's tranquil, it's, it's photogenic, and, and it's also wild. It's just a beautiful spot, and it's filled with meaning for those of us that follow Jesus, because it's the spot where the majority of the miracles took place, right around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, it's located in the northern part of Israel. It's about 70 miles northwest of Jerusalem, and it was a boundary place. It was a, it was a border place. It was a dividing line. It was a dividing line geopolitically. It was a dividing line theologically. It was a dividing line culturally. It was a place of, of, of ethnic division. In the first century church, or in the first century, it would have, it would have been um, like uh, the train tracks, 
You know, like you have train tracks kind of through the middle of town. One side of the tracks lives a certain kind of people. Another side, it was that. That's what the Sea of Galilee was. And and, and I mentioned this uh, uh, in the conference yesterday, but it bears repeating. On the eastern side was the Jewish side, and on the western side was the Samaritan and Gentile side. And Jews and Samaritans, they didn't cross each other, and and they hated each other. They weren't just different, they were enemies. Theirs wasn't like a benign difference born of just Oh, you like spicy food, and I don't. You, you know, like, uh, you know, the Colts, and I like the Cowboy. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was like more hostile than that. There was a deep hostility between those two that was born not just of geography. 150 years before Christ, Jewish armies would completely destroy the Samaritan capital. And then in response, when Rome conquered the region, Samaritans would join the Roman army, and they would use their soldier status to harass and oppress the Jews. And this back-and-forth violence had escalated and receded over the histories between these two peoples, histories that was a thousand years long. For generations upon generations, there was blood on both of these people's hands. They had killed each other's countrymen and stifled one another's flourishing. And what separated these two groups was the Sea of Galilee. The sea that Jesus was now calling his disciples to cross. One side was the comfortable and the known and the familiar. And on the other side was the hostile and the unknown and the unfamiliar. But the reason that Jesus was taking them across the sea was because he wanted to do something in them and he wanted to do something through them. The the other thing about seas in general and the Sea of Galilee specifically is that seas, they weren't just borderlands, but they were also places of chaos. Throughout the scriptures, seas always represented the chaos of the world, and it was always put in antithesis to the kingdom of God. In Genesis 1, verse 2, Now the surface of the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, over the seas. In Exodus, the Red Sea, the sea itself, that which was chaos and terrifying, it had to be parted. It had to be moved out of the way so that the children of God could pass through. In Jonah, when the storm came up on the sea, Jonah was tossed into the abyss. He was tossed into the tempest that was the Mediterranean Sea where he was swallowed up by the sea beast, by the great fish, the whale. Seas represented chaos and tempest and turmoil and anarchy. And above all, they were to be avoided. And the Sea of Galilee was no different. On one side, the Jewish community, comfortable, familiar, the place where I know my way around. And on the other side, it was the unknown, terrifying other. And yet in the story, Jesus is telling the disciples to leave where they are and go where they are uncomfortable and to head to that which is unfamiliar. And how did they get there? They had to go through the chaos. They had to go through a storm that was overtaking them. Terror fills the boat, but yet Jesus controls the sea. He controls the chaos because he controls what is up ahead from us. A new hope. I've heard the stories and have prayed with you about the visions and dreams that you have for future ministries. I've, heard, I've driven through an old town, Greenwood, and seen the places where you're praying about and heard about the vision of the uncommons and the ways that you're reaching other communities that are surrounding this area. 
And I know that there are certain visions that you have that are up on the horizon that God hasn't brought to fruition yet. And I don't know what is all up ahead for you, but here's a few things that I do know is up ahead. One is that there are storms up ahead. That everything won't go smoothly for you. That there will be uncertainty up ahead. That there will be a measure of fear and apprehension up ahead as you move forward into a future that you're not quite certain of yet. But here's the other thing that I want you to know. That Jesus is with you as you continue to walk faithfully in the steps that God has ordered for you. And the invitation for us this morning and every morning is to place our hope and faith and trust in Jesus. Not in the boat that we're in. Not in our own knowledge or experience or understanding or certainty of what may happen ahead, but to place our faith and trust in Jesus. But let's continue the story, see how it goes. Picking up in verse 28. Then he arrived on the other side in the region of the Gerardines. That's an area on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And two demon-possessed men came from their tombs to meet them. Welcome, Jesus. Glad you're here. Thanks for going through the storm. Bah! They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the pigs. And they said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And those tending the pigs, they they ran off, and they went into town. They reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus heals these two men that have been bound by demonic forces. They've been frustrated by the enemy. They've not been allowed to flourish or to grow in who they are as men, but they've been stifled. They've been bound. They've been enslaved. Jesus comes onto the scene after passing through the storm. He shows up and he frees them. He sends the demons into pigs. The pigs run over the cliff. The crowd shows up and and rather than welcoming him, they say, you know, Jesus, will will you just leave? So just to recap what's happened so far, they've gotten into the boat, they've crossed the boat, he's calmed the storm and the sea, he showed up, he healed two demon-possessed men, send the demons into pigs, and then the pigs died, and then the people, they didn't welcome him, they, they didn't celebrate this, they didn't appreciate him, they said, hey listen, okay, can you just leave now? And Jesus, being the gentleman that he is, in uh, Matthew 9, 1, it says Jesus stepped into the boat and crossed over and came into his own town. Jesus just simply leaves. Now, listen, I want you to know that um, as you move forward, uh, as you step towards the visions that God has placed in your heart as a congregation, as you move forward into that, I want you to know that when you arrive at whatever shore you arrive at, you may not receive the affirmation that you hope. You might not get the results that you're praying for. It might not go the way that you are are thinking or planning. You may show up into a community filled with hope and opportunity and the gospel and resources. And that community says, "Eh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. It may go that way. But what I want you to know in those moments is that Jesus is with you. That That God's presence is with you. And let us not be deterred. Let us not be thwarted in that. 
The story continues, though. I want us to jump ahead to Matthew 14. Because the disciples, they actually cross the Sea of Galilee again. Beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. And it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Another storm, another boat crossing, another uh, uh, challenge up ahead. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I, don't don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, come, he said. It's another storm. It's another opportunity to cross, but, but there's not as much fear this time. Because they know that despite the failures, despite the setback, despite the chaos that they see around them, that Jesus is still in control. They remember the last time that they were in this spot and they knew enough to say, okay, I think, I think let's just continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. And this time, Jesus doesn't just calm the storm, but this time he actually walks on the water. The, the thing that represents the chaos is now underneath his feet. Again, displaying that he is in control even when the world swirls around us. The disciples are like, I think it's a ghost. And he's like, no, 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 it's not a ghost. That's not, that's not what's going on here. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. He's, he's reassuring them even in the midst of the sea. He is saying, no, it's me. Continue to look to me, dear children. I am here. I'm with you. Take courage. Don't be afraid. The same thing that he employed them, he implored them from the first time they were in the boat and in the sea and in a bit of trouble. He's saying to them, I am with you. Again, we are not sure what is up ahead, but we know that Christ is in control of it all. And his word to you and to me is the same word that it was to those first disciples. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you, daughter. I'm with you, son. I'm with you, child. And they arrive at the other side. Verse 34. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent words to all the surrounding country. The people brought him all their, they brought all their sick to him. And they begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. It's a very different response than what we saw in chapter 8. Jesus arrives with the disciples and this time there's, there's not just fanfare, but there's need, there's There's ache, there's groaning. They bring the sick and infirmed to Jesus so that he might heal them. So he might display to them the rule and reign of God and God's kingdom in their midst. Jesus displays to them an echo and a sign and a foretaste of the day when all that's broken gets made right, when all that is sick is healed. He displays it right in front of them. Now, there's a lot that happens uh, in between Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14. 
right? Like there's, he feeds the 5,000. There's the failed trip uh, to the Gerardines. There's uh, false accusations that are made against Jesus. There's miracles. There's followers that are added, and there's followers that are lost. And yet in, they get back in the boat. They cross from one side to the other, believing that God still had something to do in them and through them. And they arrive on the other side, but with a very different result. And I want to say to you, church, in this moment, what this reminds us of is that some prayers take time. And some prayers even take a second time. Some trips take time. And some of them take a second time to capture what Jesus is wanting us to know and to do. Fall began exactly a month ago. I love it when we cross from one season to, uh, to another. Speaking of storms, <laughs> just want you to know. Jesus is with us. <laughs> Me and the Lord worked out this uh, sermon illustration just in this moment. I love the fall. It's one of my favorite seasons. I think uh, it's like one of the most favorite seasons of a lot of uh, Americans. I love, you know, the colors change, the, the leaves change. There's also a solemn joy. There's a, there's a clarity that comes because even as we're celebrating the season, what we're watching is things die passing from one season to, a next, to the next. Parker Palmer, in a, um, in a chapter that he wrote for a book called The Impossible Will Take a Little While, which I think is a fascinating title, he's writing about the seasons, and he comes to the point about fall and winter, and he says this, but for me, winter has an even greater gift to give. It comes when the sky is clear and when the sun is brilliant and the trees are bare, and it's just before the first snow comes. It's the gift of utter clarity. In winter, one can walk into the woods that has been opaque with summer growth only a few months earlier, and now we see the trees clearly, singly, together. And we see the ground that they are rooted in. I have a gift for you. Um, it's one of my favorite flowers. It's, um, it's the tulip. And I have a tulip bulb here. And, and what I love about tulips, it's not so much that it looks. I think there's other flowers that are, that are prettier than tulips. But what I, what I love about tulips is how you have to grow them. You see, with tulips, the thing is you plant them in winter preferably right before the first snow. And so in D.C., where I live, I have to plant them in November next month. I'll be preparing the ground for them. Or December. If you're late, you can plant them in January, too. And what you do is you got to get out there and you got to kind of dig in the ground. And when you're digging, it's super cold. The dirt is hard and everything's bare. And you kind of feel a bit foolish digging and planting things in the middle of the winter when everything is dead, but that's when they go in the ground. And you got to dig about six to eight inches down. You drop the bulb in there, and then you cover it up. And if you have mulch, you put the mulch on top. Mulch is just basically other things that have died. You put that over the top, and then you go away. And rain's going to come. It's going to get even colder. The snow will come a couple of times probably and cover it up. And the truth of it is, most of the time, I forget that they're there. And then just, just about the time that I've forgotten about these prayers that I've sowed into the ground, they, they pop up in the spring. 
and their colors explode onto the surface and they remind me that some prayers take time. Some prayers that you've prayed and some prayers that you've forgotten that you even prayed them. Prayers that you prayed in the long cold of the winter and that were dormant until just the right time in God's providence that he tells you again, take courage. I'm with you in the midst of the chaos. I'm here. Take courage. Don't be afraid. That's what I love about tulips. I suspect, church, that there are prayers that you prayed this past season of your life. And they, they haven't been answered. Or maybe they were answered, but it wasn't quite the answer that you were hoping for. They didn't get answered in quite the way that you had imagined. And the fruition of those prayers still seems to be on the horizon. What I want to invite you to do is to pray those prayers again this season. And I realize even asking that, it feels so scary. Because what if I pray and then it doesn't break the way that I'm hoping for? What if we launch into this season of ministry as a church and it doesn't produce the kind of fruit that we're hopeful for? What if I get let down by God? And I just want to remind you that even in the midst of the chaos and the turmoil, that Jesus is with you in that place. And I want to remind you that some prayers take time. And some prayers take a second time. When you leave out um, today, there's going to be a bucket. It's just in the foyer there. And it's filled with tulip bulbs. I got them in Washington, D.C., and I brought them here because I want you to know that there's a church in D.C. that's praying for you. Next month, I want you to get out your little trowel, and I want you to get into the yard somewhere, not in the middle, maybe off to the side. I want you to drop it in there, and I want you to pray. Even if you have a Sharpie, you can write your prayer on the bulb. and Just leave it there and then walk away and just know that, that God's holding it. That as you pray and in the Lord's providence and in his time, that it will explode with color. Because the Lord holds all of our prayers. And he's with you. And he would say to you, take courage. Don't be afraid. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.